This is a conversation with Bob Lewis. Hi, Bob. Hi, Serge. Nice to be here. Yeah. So uh, you're a psychiatrist and bioenergetics analyst. That is the case. I've been uh, doing this work for about 40 years and uh, still enjoying it. So do you want to talk a little bit about the work? Yes, I I think the spirit that moved me when you suggested this conversation was uh, to share some of what my work is about, the, the bodily implicit dimension of being in the room with another person that way, and but not to neglect as I, I just want to raise my consciousness and maybe others about some of the existential issues that contribute to our not uh, helping the people we work with to not being able to help them to change as much as we both would uh, would desire so I wanted to include that yeah yeah so not just focusing on the success but also the uh, frontier the edge of where it's difficult. Right, right. Uh, you know, I, I start with the premise that I, I don't know about most of us, but I certainly am a wounded healer, and I have my counter-transferences or blind spots or whatever you want to call them uh, that, I, that I continue to be a work in progress with, and to the extent that I can be with some of my sense of having been broken in some ways and at the same time cherish uh, my core life positive uh, aspects I can I can see those same things and abide with them in my in my clients uh, and at times when I'm not when the therapy is not going as well as we'd both like it to happen it's because I'm trying too hard. I'm uh, I'm impatient. I want I want to be helpful to the patient. I want the piece of me wants to be important in their life by making them better instead of somehow accepting that we're going to start where they live. Uh, that is to me a generic issue that will never quite go away because uh, I tried to make myself feel more worthwhile originally than I was just as the human person I was uh, by becoming a therapist. So that, that inherent tension uh, is something I will work on if I'm blessed and able to continue this for a while. It'll always be there. But that, and so, I mean, I could share a vignette or two about uh, the the very positive dimension of the body orientation that at times I think uh, gets to uh, a place of depth and uh, true self, etc. Uh, that sometimes words alone don't uh, yeah. quite carry us to. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's go there a little bit. Uh, I'm thinking. There was this a man I worked with for a number of years, and at one point when I when I would work with him, he had a lot of rigidity, and at times I would put 
my hand directly over his left chest, on his, on his left chest, over his heart. And uh, there were times when he resisted it and he, he was in the rigid defense and there were times when it sort of melted him and he even would have an experience of, of feeling loving feelings that uh, was very palpable in the room. And at one time he just was able to look at me and say, uh, you must be, I, I don't remember the exact words, but he, he was able to express his, his love or his valuing of me, uh, that I'm, this work must be very deeply gratifying to me and I must uh, be a really good person to do this. And I, I was able to tell him that I thought he was a really good person. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is that the, the physical contact, the human touch, uh, melted uh, a kind of rigidity that that I don't know if even just even the relationship and the verbal relationship it was hard it was tough to get to that place yeah I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of another man so so in that one um, yeah. you were touching him and as you were touching him he was touched and as he was touched you were touched. Uh, and uh, I, I, yeah, in in his book, being touched, the words that he actually spoke yes. were from a deep place in him. Yes. You know, they were not just from a kind of head uh, dissociated yes, consciousness. Definitely. And and so that brought from you that sense of wanting to tell him in response to him telling you you were a good you were a good man that he's a good man and that uh, and so that's that part of uh, of the exchange. And when we started, uh, you made the point that um, uh, you became a therapist uh, in a way it was a positive role. Uh, but this is a part of not hiding behind the positive role and finding that existential contact between the two people. You know, we started with, in a way, the vignette you you were right. describing. Right. You're a therapist, and you have that skill and uh, technique of uh, paying attention to the body and touching. Uh, but then as the emotion comes in and the strength of the client's emotion uh, comes out, you are also touched as a person. And then there's an authentic person who responds. Absolutely. Not somebody who plays the role of the uh, omnipotent therapist. I think that you capture that uh, beautifully, Serge, and I think that uh, there are many ways to touch, and some of them can convey a sense of impatience or a... Uh, I, I was touching him in a way that permitted this exchange to happen and and uh, and the words that came out of him felt almost a little bit like a poetry mm. because he was he's, he's he's not you know he's a sort of a british kind of a rigid man yeah and uh, he was speaking from his heart i touched his physically over his heart yes and he came from inside from his heart and then as you say a resonance was set between mm-hmm. us uh I'm thinking of another man who came from Lebanon and had a terrible sense. He had he had been studied the priesthood and had attempted to kind of rise above his sexuality and his body uh, in it in an attempt to escape this sense of his being damned, you know, mm-hmm. and a very uh, dark place. 
And we had a kind of a therapeutic encounter. He was built very powerfully, and he's standing opposite me, and I feel... I feel fear because I feel, you know, there's a tremendous amount of torment and uh, and rage in this man. Yeah. So you feel your own fear. I feel my own fear. Yeah. And then, but I've, I've been at this long enough. I listen to my intuition and something tells me that it's okay to move towards him. And so I move into his near space and... That he kind of puts his arms around me and starts to uh, hold me strongly. And I'm a kind of a pretty physically small guy. I don't weigh too much. And I put my arms around him and met him with my embrace. Mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of matched and responded. And he told me afterward that he felt that he could have, you know, put a bear hug on me and hurled me across the room, but that there was something in how I met him that was just profound for him, that, you know, instead of damned and evil, you know, it's an internal sense of evil, uh, that I, I met him and that the subsequent sessions were powerfully anchored by my, the simple act of him feeling my flesh and my touching him mm. uh, as an antidote to this sense of the evilness of the body and the sexuality. And on, on, on another occasion, he was about a 200-pound person. He, he surrendered his body and let me, you know, I was on, sitting on the ground, but he let his head and then the rest of his torso rest on me. Mm. And uh, so this, this fundamental bodily exchange, embrace, encounter um, can be dynamite uh, and as I say it's, it's, it's intuiting what the, how, how we are related in the room and, and what messages we're sending each other right. it enables me to go into this space with the person yes. it's not a technique, I never no. did anything like that with another person because it was unique, it was uniquely tuned to the mix of rage and uh, and torment and uh, you know whatever what was going on inside of him and how that was transmitted to me yes uh, on, a, on an implicit nonverbal level completely. Yes. So so as I'm listening to you, um, I have a very powerful image of um, this much, much bigger man uh, with a lot of anger facing the therapist who is aware of his fear and also aware of that sense of feeling some trust to go in. Um, And then you say that he puts his hands around you, so I assume there was still some anger in him, some strength and some anger at the moment that he does. So um, we're not talking about feeling each other's presence or emotions or sharing the space in an abstract way through words and uh, with a safe distance of being, uh, uh, you know, uh, 10 feet apart. Right. But uh, you're talking about something where you are very physically um, vulnerable in that moment 
and he's feeling both your vulnerability, you said he was, you know, he had the sense he could have so easily hurled you across the room, uh, but at the same time a sense of your presence, and uh, you're not, you're not running away, you're being in place, you're being solid. And so the very, very physical sense of that, that sharing the space and interacting feels very powerful. Correct. Uh, what what uh, came to me in 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 my openness to my to my intuition was that this man has a frightening um, presentation, but he needs to be held. Mm-hmm. He's he is you know so that I I hugged him back uh, in a very definite and firm way and he instantly read the affirmation of himself in that he was not an, an he was not an evil person right he right. was he, he he was he was he had a demonic abs- aspect to him and but there was a an there was a an in, innocent child in and uh, that was that had become demonized in the process of this repressive culture and and all kinds of other things. And I was uh, able to. Uh, I was. I was. I was feeling the life positive force or something like that. Yes, uh, I was. Uh, I, my my when I wrote when I wrote this uh, up this case. I, I summarized it by saying, my advice to you as a therapist is, take your demons to lunch. <laughs> because there's something about having to see the... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's actually also, as you tell it, I, uh, you know, you, you, you talked earlier about the word implicit and the implicit. And uh, it feels also like a very beautiful case to illustrate uh, all that happens in an implicit way and uh, you're not you know there's not a tremendous amount of uh, of explaining at that moment the actions are there and uh, that communication that uh, that you have about him uh, is is happening in the action that happens very quickly but is very very intense that is right he 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 is a highly articulate intelligent Man and highly organized, mm-hmm. and uh, so he was able to <laughs> to describe afterward beautiful, beautifully uh, how this affected you know his cells, his tissues, this core sense of badness, etc., etc. Uh, but in the t- in the ex- actual exchange, uh, there were very there was no nothing said. Yeah, yeah, nothing so, said explicitly. So very very intense moment, and that yes. presence in yeah. the moment. Uh, that is coming is it feels like a very beautiful uh, right. part and and so uh, earlier uh, you were talking about um, you know the um, the existential quality of this work and it feels like this captures it very beautifully and also the what happens in the dyadic experience in therapy that's something that you have a lot of interest in absolutely uh, you know uh, when when I first uh, uh, a little confession here when I the first ten years that I was a therapist I was a pretty bad copy of Dr Lowen <laughs> and I I I was able to stay in the room with my patient uh, in large measure because I distracted myself from my 
my anxiety about being close and intimate in an intimate space by thinking about the character structure of the person. I kept myself busy with uh, some sort of clinical model in my head. Uh, and as I have grown into the work or settled into it or found my way, I actually discovered that uh, I enjoy making contact with people in a, in a, in a very immediate way. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's healing for me, and, and I think it's healing for them. But I, uh, I did uh, keep people busy with exercises, and I, uh, you know, and then the patient would leave the room, and I would often go, I would hit myself on the forehead, uh, as I said, as I said, oh my God, what? The, the, why didn't I pay attention? Why did it wasn't I with what was right between us? And, you know, what was I thinking about? So I learned to take my forebrain a little bit and put it in the background and let my limbic system do a little bit more of the work. I, I wanted to, however, move a little bit to this other issue of, of uh, I mean, you can, I think, I hope you can feel from what I've said that, I am very enthusiastic about my work, and yeah. I agree with Dr. Lowen, Drs. Lowen and Piracos that it, that bioenergetics is a is a powerful modality, a wonderful way of working. Uh, but the, my emphasis on the importance of the actual therapeutic relationship yeah. is such that I want to suggest that if I were willing to make the life choices in terms of the amount of money that I earn to support myself and my family and earn less money uh, and see a number of my patients instead of once or twice a week or three or four times a week that I would I think there were th- outcomes that I might have that I don't have now and then a number of people that I worked with over the years uh, I wasn't able to be there through the dark soul of night of their soul, so to speak. Uh, and, you know, when I read some excellent case histories in some of the good books that are out or I hear presentations, the presenter will be presenting a case with uh, a four or five times a week session. They, they, they see the person you know, many times a week. And they take it, it's taken for granted. They don't They don't put a footnote and mm-hmm. say, this patient was very wealthy, or I saw this patient at a very reduced fee out of my generosity, or because I knew that I, they would write them up in the book and it would be a great case. So I find there's a certain, um, I don't know, it's almost du- a duplicity, because you, you know, how many people can you see four and five times a week? Yeah. Uh, if you are earning your livelihood from it. Yeah. And I'm thinking of a man specifically, one of a number of so people. So I want to okay, just on. maybe yeah. restate this because yeah. um, uh, it's, it's a... Very practical. Yeah, it's a, it's a practical point, but it's also just uh, what you're saying is that, yes, we do good work with a you know, one-time-a-week type of thing, but it has limitations. And... Um, uh, that, you know, it's a little bit like the debate for raising children about quality time versus time per se. And you can't just raise children with quality time. You also need a certain amount of time spent with them. Uh, and you're saying that there's a very limit, a very real limitation of the therapy for many people not having enough time with them. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the uh, scientific empirical experiment of having some that I do give the time to and some that I don't, but I, 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 I infer partly because of this evolutionary uh, biology argument that kind of explains we, we grew up in, for thousands of years, we operated before we became an urban society in, in the hunter-gatherer phase, we were in groups, we helped each other. And uh, it, it was not just a dyadic experience. There was a con- you were part of a kinship, part of a, a clan. There was uh, a, a sense of co- cultural continuity and belonging that that in our urban society now many of us have lost. And we are the uh, medicine men and women, the gurus, uh, as as the therapists. And I'm thinking, for instance, of a man. I found him to be a, 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 a good person, an attractive human being. He, I worked with him for three or four years, and uh, but I never worked for, with him much. Occasionally, we may have seen each other twice a week, but it was mostly once a week. And he went through ter- pretty awful emotional trauma in his family of origin. He, he, he had. He had felt identified with, with the Nazi concentration camp victims. Uh, a, a simple mini-vignette captures something of what his life was about. When he was nine years old or so, his mother inadvertently backed over the, the dog, the, his dog. You know, he had two siblings, their dog, but he felt it was particularly his dog, and killed the dog. Mm. And uh, his... When you hear the story, it's sort of stunning or chilling. When he got home, his father had thrown the body, the, uh, the dog's body, on a kind of a garbage heap. And he does not remember ever having been apologized to or in, in any kind of reasonable way taken into consideration as for the... Um, you know, so, so, so that it was a grotesque experience. And... He had made a resolve that the only revenge that he could take, and he used that word, was to not have a life. Well, so the forces that were operating against me being able to really help him to change much were powerful. He, his stated reason for wanting to be in therapy was that he wanted, he was not able to be in a sustained, satisfying relationship with a woman. He was a sort of an attractive, athletic man. He could he could start relationships, but he had such a false self-adaptation that uh, every minute into the relationship, he was he was building resentments, and the the woman wasn't really getting to know who she was in the relationship with. There were a lot of dynamics there, but on one or two occasions with me. Oh, I'm going to give you an example of this this sense that he uh, he was not going to forget what had happened to him, he, himself and his two siblings in the sense that Elie Wiesel uh, the fam- uh, used to uh, tell people we cannot forget mm-hmm. uh, what happened to those who perished uh, right. and, and who they were and what happened uh, in that sense this man was was a kind of a, a totem, a living memorial to the broken, 
to, to the broken selves of himself and his siblings. And there was a movie called My Life as a Dog mm-hmm. that he would cite as, a, I knew what he was talking about after a while, which is a little boy who's betrayed and goes through some trauma. And by the end of the movie, you see a little smile coming over the little boy's face and you understand that he is going to move towards forgiveness. And when my patient would see that movie, and I think he saw it repetitively, he would feel dismayed and feel, oh, this guy is, uh, you know, he's been holding up the torch uh, to honor uh, the, the, to keep us some sense of dignity and to honor what, what the trauma and tragedy was. And now he's forgiving. He's, he's, so he's betraying. You know? Yeah, and... And he used to say to me, this man, uh, if I open up to this immense grief, will you be there in the middle of the night? Mm. To, uh, or if I open up this immense rage, I can't imagine coming into this office and what would happen to our relationship. And I particularly feel that I would destroy my relationship with my siblings because he was very, you know, self-effacing. And, uh, you know, he, he had a house... And he never had his own schedule in his house because he was always deferring to when these two siblings would like to come. And, you know, he never had a weekend for himself, so to speak. There was he. There was a profound protection going on. Yeah. And uh, and maybe the last sto- piece of that story. He was a he was an elite athlete, and his brother was even more so. And he he came in once, and he read from a book that his brother had written and he was completely choked up he couldn't he couldn't he had to make his way through these broken sentences and i was pretty choked up myself as he described the way he had run side by side with his brother through a critical 5 or 10 miles of what was a marathon that the brother actually won a very and they and when i when I I felt there was a uh, a bond in the real world between these two men, the two spirits that that what I that therapy knew very little about that mm-hmm. I could not, <laughs> and that and I, and I, that's kind of what I'm talking about that we that there are times when we need more than we can be yes and that we need to help. People find the equivalent of what uh, this man found with his brother, except that that was a self It was a, a system that did not allow the deeper surrender and forgiveness that would have allowed him to have a, a more intimate life in his own right. Yes, as opposed to this special uh, thing that was preserved. But uh, so. So when I think about, I don't know if you want to, if you have a comment about. So, that, so you know. what I'm hearing is something of such depth that uh, you know you really feel a strong sense that seeing him once a week, there is a very real limit to what you can do, and in a way, uh, as you're describing this, and and you know, and the not just the 
personal trauma, the intensity of it, probably the intergenerational component that added to it. Um, what I'm hearing is not at all a lack of faith in the power of the dyadic work or in the power of your work, but actually a strong faith in it of saying it's good, but you've simply and made more of it. Reality, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You remember the earlier vignette where I touched the man on his yes. chest and I, I made contact with him on a heart level? I did that. I, when I read over the chart of this man, I was startled by how many deep encounters we had at the times when he sobbed in, in, in my arms and when I, I also was in his near space and, we, and there was a deep uh, gay, a mutual eye gaze and, and I, was, I was probably touching him somewhere over his heart Literally, and he quietly whispered to me, "I'm that he said I'm saying to myself, this this man is really with me. Mm. So the, it's not that this relationship was devoid of some powerful moments, but the forces that were aligned to keep this man uh, living this somewhat nomadic life." <laughs> where he could not really uh, have a life, as he said, were, were, were very strong. So I, I just wanted to add that element, that, yeah. that there was a lot of good and contactful work that went on, but uh, it needed to happen uh, three times as often, as yes. far as I can tell. Yes, yes. And, and uh, so you can encourage your patients to join a chorus and sing with a hundred voices and feel that they're part of a human resonance and try to find uh, a way uh, to, out of the depth of that isolation or towards more of a sense of community to, to do things in groups. Uh, but, uh, you know, people, people join a karate group and they find that it, that it helps them to be experience their body in relationship to other people and they uh, they are deeply connected in, in in the kind of new family they have found yes but uh, I, I don't think it completely uh, solves the problem that I'm talking about. no no but it's a it's a good uh, it feels very uh, powerful to put it in this way that um, the fact that people can need much more time is not that therapy itself doesn't work or that you're a bad therapist, uh, and it's really a part that they actually need more. And you point out that they need more doesn't mean you have to give it to them at no cost, but you're actually at that moment faced with a real, very real existential challenge of what you do, facing the limitations you do, and uh, I'm very grateful that you bring this question to share with people who are listening to the series. Well, thank you, Serge. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com. Uh, it feels very uh, powerful to put it in this way, that... Um, the fact that people can need much more time is not that therapy itself doesn't work or that you're a bad therapist, uh, and it's really a part that they actually need more. 
and you point out that they need more doesn't mean you have to give it to them at no cost. But you're actually at that moment faced with a real, very real existential challenge of what you do, facing the limitations you do. And uh, I'm very grateful that you bring this question to share with people who are listening to the series. Well, thank you, Serge. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com.